This morning, we're going to contemplate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ through the lens of Romans chapter 12. If anyone has read the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote, you'll know that in the first 11 chapters, Paul gives this magnificent vision of what God has done for us in Christ. God the Father has rescued humanity through his Son from living according to sin and evil and death, and God has opened up this new way for us of living according to the Spirit, which leads to holiness, righteousness, and eternal life. And then in chapter 12, there's this pivot, there's this new thing that Paul is introducing to us. He says in verses 1 and 2, in light of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Surrender your whole being to God. This, Paul says, is your spiritual act of worship. From Paul's perspective, worship is much more than music and singing. It includes music and singing, but it has to do with how we live our overall lives. It has to do with what we do with our bodies. And specifically, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Quite often it's easier to just go along with whatever's happening in our culture and in our society. But Paul uses this word world not to refer to the earth, the substantial material part of the earth. He's speaking about human society organized around itself without God. As soon as we take God out of the picture, the human body loses all its sacredness and all of its value, which is what we see happening today. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the way that you think, by the renewing of your minds. And then you will be able to discern God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. This is how we learn how to follow Jesus in a very practical way. We offer our bodies to God. We surrender our whole selves to him. And as we do, we, we learn how to see ourselves in relationship with him. We grow in our relationship with him, and then we discern what his will is as we go. It's not like we go off somewhere and pray and, you know, download information from God, and then we go and live it out. No, it's about living a whole lifestyle whereby God becomes the center of our love. He becomes the center of our lives, and then everything we do and think and say emerges, flows out of our relationship with him. This is the first part of what Paul is saying to us as disciples of Jesus. And then in verse 3, Paul starts talking about grace. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is saying, think about yourself, not too high, not too low, but through eyes of faith. Think of yourself in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. By the measure of faith, Paul's not talking about the amount of faith. It's not like some of us have more faith than others. It's, it's you either have faith or you don't have faith. If you have faith in Jesus, then you have been united to him 
in his death and in his resurrection. If you have faith in Jesus, then you are in him and he is in you by his spirit. And now you are a member of his body on earth, which is the church. This is what he talks about in verse 5. For as in, as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body, and individually we are members one of another. Paul wants us to be confident in our identity in Christ and to see how we fit together in the body of Christ. But the only way the body of Christ can function the way that God designed it to is if each person within the body is given grace gifts. Verse 6, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's important to note that these grace gifts are built into the fabric of our being. These were gifts that we were given when we were created by God. Paul identifies seven gifts, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. Why seven? Uh, perhaps it has something to do with Isaiah 11, where God speaks of the Messiah being graced with a seven-fold giftedness. The, the, it, it says in, in Isaiah 11 that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, that is the Messiah, Jesus, and then the passage goes on to speak of seven expressions of the Spirit's person and work. Seven is also thought of as the number of completion and perfection. Through the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit resting on Jesus, God bestows on the body of Christ, the church, complete and perfect grace. Sevenfold gifts for the people of God to participate fully in the life an ongoing mission of God in the world. The seven gifts manifesting this, the manifold work of the Holy Spirit in and through the body of Christ. Paul wants us to realize that every disciple of Jesus, that means all of us here, have been gifted in one of these seven ways. Jesus alone operates perfectly in all seven of the gifts, but none of us can operate independently from one another. We need one another in order for all of these gifts to be functioning in the way that God designed. He says, do, Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I think what he's also saying here is, do not think that you can operate in the grace of God without operating with the other gifts. Now, as a way of helping us discern how we are gifted, I'm going to do a bunch of things. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to define each gift. I'm going to give an illustration. I'm going to suggest some possible pitfalls for each gift, which will be really fun. And then I'm going to end with a number of questions that we can ask ourselves to help us further discern our unique place in the body of Christ. Are you ready? A lot of things, but I'm just going to go for it. Here we go. Here's the story. Listen to this story. This is from uh, a leadership consultant, Bruce Bugby. He says this, it wasn't, long, it wasn't too long after creation that the animals got together to form a school. They wanted the best possible school, one that offered each student a well-rounded curriculum of swimming, running, flying, and climbing. In order to graduate, the animals agreed that they would each have to take all the courses. 
The duck was excellent at swimming. In fact, he was better than his instructor. But he was only making passing grades at climbing and was getting a very poor grade in running. The duck was so slow in running that he had to stay after school every day to practice. Even with that, there was little improvement. His webbed feet got badly worn from running, and with such worn feet, he would, he would then only be able to get half a grade in swimming. Now, average was quite acceptable to everyone else, so no one worried much about it except the duck. Now, the rabbit was at the top of her class in running, but after a while, she developed a twitch in her leg from all the time she spent in the water trying to improve her swimming. Now, the squirrel was a peak performer in climbing, but was constantly frustrated in flying class. His body became so bruised from all the hard landings that he didn't do too well in climbing and ended up being pretty poor in running. The eagle was a continual problem student. She was severely disciplined for being nonconformist. For example, in climbing class, she would always beat everyone else to the top of the tree, but insisted on using her own way to get there. Each of the animals had a particular area of expertise. When they did what they were designed to do, they excelled. When they tried to operate outside their expertise, they were not nearly as effective. Can ducks run? Of course they can. Is that what they do best? Definitely not. Just as every animal has been designed uniquely to sur for survival, so every Christian has been given unique gifts to help the body of Christ grow. God has given spiritual gifts and natural talents to each believer. They are the specific ways in which you and I will excel. Everybody is not ideally suited for each position or task. In many cases, training may improve one's skills, but without the corresponding gifts needed to meet the expectations of the position, training can only make incremental improvements. Can anybody relate to this? Now here's a definition for all of these seven gifts. Prophecy. A prophet is someone who speaks forth a particular word of God to a particular people at a particular time for a particular purpose. These people are motivated to see the Lord and to help other people see the Lord. Service. These people are driven to help in practical ways. When they see someone in need, they automatically try to figure out how to fulfill needs. Teaching. These people are focused on details. They enjoy sitting for long periods of time in the Word. When they study the Bible, they like to surround themselves with commentaries and other translations and dictionaries, and they get really excited about original meanings of words. Their passion is to help other people understand. Exhortation. These people are encouragers. They come alongside others to help in whatever way is needed in the moment in order to help others take the next step in their journey of following Jesus. Giving. These are people who are generous, and they are often the catalyst for generosity. They're passionate to make resources available. Leading. These are people who step out to the head of the line to get things moving. They are good managers of people, resources, and processes. Their passion is to get the job done. And then there's mercy. These are people who feel with and for others. They are there for those who suffer, and they don't judge no matter what is going on in a person's life. Their passion is to simply be a loving presence for others. 
Now here's an illustration to show how each of these seven gifts can work together. Just imagine for a moment that um, I'm carrying a box of, of cookies up to the pulpit here. But as I carry them, I trip over the pulpit mic cord that's lying here, and then I spill the cookies all over the place and I make a really big mess. Now imagine seven different people using their seven different grace gifts, responding to this situation. The mercy person would say, it's okay, Ben. It could happen to anyone. The person would see that I'm embarrassed and they would come and they'd put their arm around me. The leader would say, uh, Wes, could you get a broom and a dustpan? Uh, John, could you get some duct tape and fasten down these cords? Uh, Myrtle, could you buy some more cookies? And then uh, Ken, could you bring this situation up at the next parish council meeting so that we can set up a subcommittee and figure out a way of dealing with these cords? <laughs> the giver would say, I'll buy the cookies. And then they'll give a little bit extra money so that we can figure out a way that we don't need to use cords anymore. The exhortation person would say, Ben, the next time you should try walking around the cords. I'm sure you have had a good reason for needing cookies in the pulpit, but maybe if you're hungry, you could have a healthy snack as an alternative. The teacher would say, the reason this happened is twofold. First, these cords should never be left unsecured. And second, the cookies should have been more securely wrapped and not taken out of the box. The service person says, I'll clean it up. And then the prophecy person would say, this is my favorite one, this happens when we are not careful. <laughs> Do you see the parable in this? Cords are always lying along our path. The evil one is always trying to trip us up. You need to stay alert to the dangers all around you, both visible and invisible. Who did you most identify with? Which response of all of these is the most like Christ? I think all of them to some degree. I think also that conflict in the body of Christ often emerges when we expect everyone else to respond to challenges and difficulties in the same way that we would respond. I also think that burnout in ministry happens not so much from doing too much, but from operating outsider giftedness. Okay, now let's go through these seven gifts again, this time looking at the potential downsides to each gift and where each of us might need to grow in grace. So the prophecy person can be easily wounded by criticism. They can jump to conclusions too quickly. They can step in where they're not needed and they can take responsibility for things that they don't really need to be taking responsibility for. The service person can be easily discouraged by a lack of gratitude. They can become resentful. They can be overcommitted to things and to people. And because they want to help people in fulfilling their needs, they can tend to push their agenda on others. The teacher can become so preoccupied with doctrine and details that they can miss out on a relationship with the one to whom doctrine speaks. They can let faithfulness to doctrine become more important than the quality of the relationship with those that they're trying to help understand doctrine. And they can become 
overly demanding. The exhortation person can jump in where they're not needed. They can become impatient when others do not move on to the next step. They can become committed to too many people and experiences and then experience a kind of relational overload. The giver, in wanting to make sure certain projects happen, can be tempted to become manipulative or controlling, and they can feel hurt if a project that they really want to fund is not approved by others. The leader can get exhausted if they don't delegate. They can be tempted to micromanage, and they can let the desire to fulfill the vision override relationships. And then the mercy person can get stuck when other people are not making progress and they can become overly dependent on others. How do we overcome these potential downsides to our gifting? By living a life of love, Paul says, which is what we're going to look at in more detail next Sunday. I get to preach again next Sunday, so I get to control what we look at. Let me conclude by sharing a few th questions that we can be asking ourselves as we seek to discern and ex exercise our unique gifts. And I can make these questions available to you if you email me or you just contact me. I can send them to you. Here are the questions. Number one, as you look out at the world, what in your mind is the world's greatest need? Number two, what do you most want to see happen in the lives of other disciples? Number three, it's related to number two. What bugs you about other disciples? Now, I know that sounds very judgmental, but it's actually very revealing if you ask yourself that question. What bothers you about other people? If you're a leader, what bothers you about other leaders? If you're someone who shows mercy, what bothers you about other people who are merciful? That can be very revealing about your own, like, how God has wired you and, and created you. Number four, when, when do you experience the pleasure of the Lord? What are you doing? Again, related to this question, number five, what is your earliest memory of God's pleasure for you? What were you doing? Number six, if money were no object and you knew that you couldn't fail, what would you attempt for the kingdom of God? And then number seven, where do you find your greatest joy? Frederick Buchner said that God's call on our life is found at the intersection of the world's great need and our deepest joy. Another theologian, Howard Thurman, said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive, then do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in light of all that God has done for us, we are being called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. And as we do, we are able to discern God's will and we are caught up in the joy of participating in his life and his mission. This is what it means to be a disciple according to the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your grace is sufficient 
for us. We thank you that when you look at us, you don't just see who we are right now. You see who we are becoming. You know uh, how you have created us. You know the different gifts that you've built into the fabric of our being. Lord, won't you help us as a community of believers here in the center of Ottawa, won't you help us come to a deeper uh, fellowship with you and thereby a deeper understanding of who we are in the body of Christ? I pray for each person here, I pray for each person who will listen to this, that you would take us deeper, and Lord, that you would help us to say no to some things and yes to those things that give us life and joy in our life in you. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.